We are continuing a series today called Thriving in Exile. And what we're talking about is an exile is someone who is kept from their country, um, they're kept from their homeland, they're not allowed to, to go in, and often when you're in exile, you're just trying to survive. And yet, the, there's some really cool things that God has for us that we can not only just survive, but we can thrive. And, and to be in a culture that is different than one that honors God, how do we remain faithful to God in a culture that isn't faithful? And that's what we're going to be talking about um, over this series. And so as our culture continues to shift and change and, and, uh, and, and blow with every wind of thought and just kind of all the things going around, how can we as followers of Jesus not only just survive this world but thrive in it and be able to, uh, to make an impact in the world? We are uh, studying the book of Daniel, uh, the first six chapters of Daniel in this series. Daniel was an exile. Uh, he was an Israelite who was taken from his home and, uh, and forced to go over to the city of Babylon, uh, to the land of the Chaldeans, uh, where he was to be trained in the arts and the literature and language of the Chaldeans and being forced to serve uh, a king that was not his own. And yet, Daniel, through all of this, and his three friends, some amazing things happen, and he's able to not only survive it, but thrive in it. And so we've talked about how the fact that God doesn't need perfect um, circumstances to do a great work. God doesn't need every, all the environment to be perfect in order to do a great work. Often, actually, when God does his greatest work, seems like when times are the bleakest or the darkest. Um, and last week, we saw about how uh, faithfulness to God reveals the faithfulness of God. That we don't create the faithfulness of God, but when we are faithful to him, we get to see aspects of God that we have never been able to see before and notice and appreciate really the faithfulness of God. And so that's what we've been talking about the last few weeks. Um, the lesson uh, for this week, the, the main thought of this week is this. Humble confidence is built on the foundations of God's character. Humble confidence is built on the foundation of God's character. Now, Daniel, will be com he will be confident, but it's not a confidence in himself. It's really a humble confidence. It's a confidence in something other than himself, that being the Lord. And he knows the character of his God, and because he knows who his God is, he can do things and step into places with a confidence that, that we often lack. And so it's really amazing. We're going to be um, in Daniel chapter 2 uh, today, starting in verse 1. We are uh, covering a whole bunch of scripture uh, today. Um, it's a narrative, Daniel's a narrative, and so we're gonna read one whole uh, account of Daniel's life, um, a dream that the king Nebuchadnezzar has and the interpretation of it. And so we're gonna cover like 50 verses today, like five zero. Um, I'm not gonna read all of them, I'm only gonna read like 47 of them, just so you know. Um, the other thing that you need to know is uh, I've always struggled with public reading, um, I, I was never a strong reader in school, and so it always made me nervous. And I just think it's really funny that God is like, okay, now I'm going to have you read lots in front of people um, because uh, he's the one who gives the strength. Also, it's being recorded. So if I uh, mess up, uh, bear with me. The words are up on the screen. But, uh, but here we go. I'm just gonna, we're just going to walk through this massive text of Scripture, but it's really, really powerful. So let's begin. Verse 1. In the second year of the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. 
Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show you the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word for me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show me the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honors. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, let the king tell the servants, his servants the dream, and we will show you the interpretation. The king answered him, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time, because you see that the word for me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you know me, you can show me the interpretation. There it is. It's awesome. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult. No one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. So do you see what's going on here? Nebuchadnezzar is having this reoccurring dream, and it's troubling him. He doesn't know the meaning of it. It's pretty frightening. It kind of freaks him out. And day after day after day, he's having this reoccurring dream. And sleep is leaving him. He's starting to become kind of an insomniac, and he's at his wit's end. And he calls together the sorcerers, the wise men, the magicians, the, the people who are trained in the arts, and says, okay, here's the deal. I've had a dream, and I'm really troubled by it. And they're like, great, tell us the dream, we'll give you the interpretation. He says, oh, no, 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 no. I know you people. You're just going to tell me what I want to hear. So here's what we're going to do. You're going to tell me the dream and its interpretation. You're going to tell me what I dreamt, and you're going to tell me what it means. And he says, two options. One, you do it, great, I give you high honors, I give you praise, it's awesome. Not, I tear you to pieces, and I burn your house to the ground. That's, that's, that's the ultimatum. This is the kind of king we're dealing with. And by the way, he can do this. Like, this is totally within his power to do so. Like, actually have people torn limb from limb. Like, that, that's not like a figure of speech. He's like saying, no, this is, like, are you joking? And he's like, am I laughing? So, so they say, listen, like, okay, but you just got to tell us the dream and we'll help you out. He's like, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. You t I tell you the dream, you're going to make something up. You need to tell me the dream and its interpretation. You're just stalling at this point. And he's like, they're, king, they're like, no king in the history of the world has ever asked anybody to do what you're asking us to do. This is impossible. This is impossible. Only God can do what you're asking to do. And at that, King Nebuchadnezzar relents. He says he's sorry. He lowers the bar. Just kidding. He doesn't do that. What we see in verse 12 is this. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion, that's important, he wrote prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent. 
Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. So he's furious because no one can do this. And so he says, that's it. We're killing y'all. And he sends out the king's guard, the captain of the king's guard, like secret service, like special black, double black, triple black ops kind of people. And they go out and he's going to wipe out all of the wise men, all of the sorcerers and the chanters, all the people, all, the whole school, everything. He's, he's killing everybody and he's burning all their houses down. And so Daniel's there one day, probably eating breakfast. I don't know what he's doing. They kick open his door and there's the captain of the guard. He's like, hey, Arioch, what you doing? He's like, well, we're here to kill you. Oh, huh. And it says Daniel answers with prudence and discretion which I think is amazing. Prudence means to be very careful. He's measuring his words. And he says he uses discretion, which means he's trying to get at the heart of the issue. It's not just the thing that's going on. What's beneath the surface? What he's trying to discern is like, what's the motivation for this? Daniel is keeping his head when everybody else is losing theirs. That's figurative, but it was gonna happen Just thought of that on the spot. Um, But he uses prudence and discretion. He uses prudence and discretion. He's very careful. And when everybody else is freaking out, Daniel asks a very important question. Why is this so urgent? Why does this matter so much to the king that we'd all be dead? And Arioch, who's the captain's guard, he's he's obviously got favor already uh, in this, that Arioch actually gives him an answer. He could have said, don't worry about it. But Arioch tells Daniel the dream, or tells Daniel what's going on, saying, the king's got a dream, no one can tell him, no one can interpret it, it is driving the king mad, and he's willing to wipe everybody out and start over, because he can't handle this. And it says, Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time. Which means he went into the presence of the king, which, by the way, is very risky. If, if you showed up to the king's palace and said, I want to see the king, and he doesn't agree to see you, he can kill you. That's also a thing. Like, like Daniel's risking his life by even just going to the king. The king could extend his scepter and say, yep, I want to talk to you. Cool. If he's like, no, I don't want to deal with you, you're dead. And he goes in and he says, I want a point of time. I want to set up a time I want to set up a time where you and I can talk about your dream and the interpretation. Let's, let's talk about this. What would give Daniel such confidence to be able to walk into the presence of one of the most powerful kings in the history of the world, and definitely one of the most powerful at the time, and say, I want to meet with you, and we need to talk? What would give, what would give Daniel that kind of confidence. Verse 17. Then Daniel went into his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. That Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, 
Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. What I love about this is Daniel prays after he sets up the appointment. Like he gets everybody, he's like, King, here's the thing. We need to talk about your dream. He said, fine, we'll set it up. Talk to my assistant. They sent the Google invite. He hit accept. Everything's lined up, right? We're all ready to go. And once he gets all the details, he's like, hey, by the way, we need to pray. We need to pray. So he gathers his three buddies together. He gets them together and says, okay, uh, prayer meeting. Uh, we're starting a new thing called a prayer circle. And uh, we're going we're gonna to pray consistently. The one subject that we have is give us the king's dream and its interpretation so we don't die. And they all went, amen. Okay, now do that over and over and over again. You got it, right? So they're all praying that God would give them the answer. Here's the, here's the amazing thing. Daniel stepped out and then he prayed because he already knew his God. He knew the character of his God, and he knew that God had something in store. And he knew that the only hope that he had was God. The only thing that he had was God. That was the only thing that he knew that was going to be any kind of help in this moment. If we as a people are going to thrive in exile if we're in a culture that's not our own, if we're in a place that doesn't honor God, if we're going to actually thrive in that exile, we have to know who God is. We have to spend time with God. It's the only way. It's the only way that we're going to cultivate in our souls a hope and a humble confidence because we would know our God. We need to spend time with God. We need to spend time in his word. We need to spend time in prayer. We need to spend time listening to him. We need to spend time pouring out our hearts to him, but also letting him teach and instruct us as well. If we're going to thrive in this world, we're going to have to spend time with God. That's why our mission statement is to encounter God and impact the world. Encounter God comes first, okay? We have to spend time with God if we're going to make any kind of impact in this world. Because we could go out in our own name and our own creativity, and we can go do something, we can make a splash, but it's here today, gone tomorrow. If we're really going to be about changing lives and seeing people transformed by the good news of Jesus Christ, we have to know who our God is because things will happen in your life that are going to shake you and they're going to be hard and they're going to be difficult and you're not going to know why they're happening. We have to know who God is so we can trust him in the middle when everything else is falling apart. And God gives them the answer to the dream. God gives them the dream and its interpretation. They said, thank you so much for answering our prayers. We know the kings matter. So Daniel gets up, gets on the horn, calls Arioch, says, hey, I'm ready. Verse 25. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him. By the way, we don't use the word thus nearly enough. I think that's something that I'm just going to make my personal goal. Right up there with frolic. Love that word. Anyways, um, Jesus said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. 
The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, that's this Babylonian name, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? I love Daniel's response. Daniel answered the king and said, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or astrologer can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. I love this. Daniel could have taken credit for himself. He says, can you make known to me the dream and the interpretation? He's like, yes, I got this. In fact, Daniel is Hebrew for you're welcome. Like, it's not, but he could have said it, right? Like, in that moment, he could have said, yeah, this is all me. I got this. I got this. I got this. But no, time and time and time again, what we're going to see is Daniel understands that God is the one who gives the increase. God is the one who gives the power. God is the one who gives the interpretation. God is the one who made the matter known. God is the one who did all these things. He said, he, said, he says, do you got the answer? He's like, nope, but I serve a God who does. And Daniel takes this moment to introduce Nebuchadnezzar to Daniel's God. He said, there's a God in heaven who can reveal these things. And by the way, what you saw is what's going to happen in the time to come. Verse 31, this is Daniel speaking. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image of the feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that no trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the earth. That is a weird dream. That is what it looks like. Okay? No, no enchanter's ever guessing that one, right? Nobody's like, tell me the dream. Uh, you were public speaking and... You forgot your speech. Was that it? Nebuchadnezzar's like, no, you're dead. Right? Like, that's not, no one gets that dream. No one gets that dream. That's what it looks like. That's what the dream looks like. There's a gold head. There's a silver chest and arms. The waist and kind of the, up to the thighs are bronze. The legs are iron. And then his feet are mixed iron and clay. And then basically a rock from, uh, heaven, like that nothing, none, no human form has ever like made this rock, comes, smashes the feet of the statue. Everything topples down. It all crumbles. It's like chaff, which is like the leftover stuff from wheat that just gets kind of thrown away. Um, it just becomes like nothing. And then this rock becomes a mountain, which never gets moved. Okay. So that he explains the dream. He's like, he's like, am I close? Right? Like that's, Then Daniel not only has the dream, he has the interpretation of it as well. This was the dream. Now we tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, the whom, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory, and into whose hands was given, 
Wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all, you are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall rise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And you, as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break into pieces all the kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke into pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation, sure. Drops Mike, walks away. This is incredible. He says, this is your dream. This is what it means. Each one of these spots is a kingdom. Gold, silver, bronze, iron, iron mixed with clay. They're all different kinds of kingdoms that are going to come after you. But there's going to be something that's going to happen somewhere around that time when God is going to establish something, something that no man can build, God is going to establish. And that establishment is going to be far exceeding greater than any of these other kingdoms. All these other ones are going to be forgotten. This kingdom is not only going to last, but it's going to remain for forever. It's going to be established. God is going to do this. Now, here's where it gets awesome to me. These are five major kingdoms. These are five empires. And he talks about not only what will happen, but the characteristics of all of them. And what's amazing about all of this is that it's historically accurate. It's not just a dream. This actually happened. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon and the Chaldean army. He had a great army. One of his things was the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, which became one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It's a fabulous, phenomenal place. That kingdom would be taken over at some point by the Medes and the Persians. And the Medes and the Persians come in and kick out the Chaldeans, do a transfer of power. This happens in the book of Daniel. You're going to see that. So the Medes and the Persians come up with another empire. It's not as flashy or showy. It's not as beautiful or as good. It's inferior, and yet it's something that's, that is established. After the Medes and Persian uh, comes the Greek Empire. And the Greek Empire would take over a lot of the world, just like it said in his dream. Well, here's the amazing thing, too, is like if you look at um, uh, major times of historians, when you look at that, the Greeks are right in the middle of the Bronze Age, or right towards the end. Like right in the, right, right smack dab where they're supposed to be in the Bronze Age, we have a statue made of bronze. It's kind of interesting. Then after that would come Rome. And Rome, oddly enough, it's almost like someone planned it, is in the Iron Age. 
When, 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 when uh, the, the Bronze Age would decease and go away, there's another thing that came up, and that's why one of the things about the Roman armies, they used iron. And they would smash their opponents, and they would take over things. And so they were ruthless and hard, and they would break things to pieces, just like iron legs. But another main thing would happen is that the Roman Empire would last for a long time, but then the Roman Empire, because of intermarriage and other things, would actually broken up into two kingdoms, wasn't it? And some of it was stronger than the other. Some of it was brittle, and some of it was strong. And, and the, the kingdom really got divided, like in around the 300s AD, somewhere in there. But what's amazing is in the middle of, in the middle of this empire that's starting to crumble underneath it, God did something. He sent his son Jesus into the world, and the message of Jesus started to go out. And, and even during the time when everything else was breaking, the kingdom of God was advancing. Jesus is known as the rock. He says, on this rock, I'll build my church. He's also known as the chief cornerstone, that all things are going to be built through him. And guess what? Jesus' kingdom is still ruling and reigning today. He's still our king. He's still alive. There's nothing that's going to overthrow Jesus. So the establishment will go, kingdoms come and kingdoms go and kingdoms come and kingdoms go, but God will establish what he wants, when he wants, right when he wants it. That is an amazing truth. God establishes the work of his hands. Nebuchadnezzar is dumbfounded. Verse 46. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering of an incense be offered to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly, your God is God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you've been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and the chief perfect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king and they appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his three friends, those are the Babylonian names, over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. Here's what's really cool about this. Is that some amazing things happen. Daniel says, this is the dream, this is his interpretation. Nebuchadnezzar falls on his face and starts to worship. Some things amazing happen. One, Nebuchadnezzar realizes that he's not the most powerful being in the world. Nebuchadnezzar, at this, moment, at this point, understands that there is something greater at work than him. And it humbles him. It humbles him. The king who could do whatever he wanted now understands that there's a God who he will answer to. There's something more powerful at work than the king. Next thing we see is Daniel gets promoted. King's true to his word. He says, I'll give you honors and praise or I'll kill you dead. And he gets honor and praise. Daniel becomes a major influence in this culture. Daniel becomes a major influence in the king's court. He also gets his friends promoted. The prayer group that they had together that was praying, now they see the faithfulness of God and they can step into these other places as well. But here's one of the things that I, what I love about this, this account is that it gives us confidence in our God. 
This gives us confidence in our God. This is the God who can see five empires into the future and tell you what's going to happen. He's the God who can see the end from the beginning. And when I, in my own life, when I get wrapped up in details and freak out and all these kinds of things that are going on in my life, I can understand that this is my God. This is the God who can see everything and he can handle what's going on in my life. A humble confidence is built on the foundation of God's character. And one of the things that God is, is he's a great and mighty God who can see the end from the beginning. I think he can trust, I think we can trust him to understand what's going on in my life. And I don't know what you're going through here today. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what's happening in your life, but I know this. There's nothing in your life right now that is greater than God. There's nothing greater than God. He can change the heart of a king. He can call his shots five empires down. He can handle what's going on in your life. And we can trust him. Daniel prayed, says, this is the God of my fathers. He heard the stories of God's faithfulness. And now we get to continue to hear the stories and hear the times when God was faithful and God was strong God was sure because he always is. We can trust him. And we see this play out here. Let's pray.